0: is a very familiar text which I use a lot, but I also believe it to be one of the most practical and one of the most beautiful passages, at least for me personally, in the entire New Testament. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. But then, after that passage, in verses 10, 10 through 12, there is a far less often utilized passage that continues with some of the most powerful, beautiful, encouraging truths about our salvation that it's a shame that we so often miss it or or stop there in verse nine. And and so I thought tonight in keeping with our theme of of newness, it being the beginning of the year and all, I want for us to explore this passage a little bit further and I want to begin with a more familiar portion of the passage, the one that had ought to inspire us, the one that had ought to encourage us and and fill us with joy every time we read it, and that is the one, again, that I, I go to quite often, both personally and from the pulpit, and that is in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, and it begins with these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just the power and the beauty and the encouragement in that one verse, but we move on. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, there are so many sermons that could be preached about what we have waiting for us, reserved for us in heaven. It doesn't fade away, it doesn't grow old, but but we move on and in verse six it says, in this, that is what we have waiting, you greatly rejoice, though now for a while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory the revelation of Jesus Christ even though you have all these wonderful things waiting on this earth you're going to go through some fiery trials to purify your faith but as I as I read that and as I look at that typically I think well you know that makes sense that our faith has to be purified in order to be in that wonderful place he's just described and God continues to work with us to hone us for heaven as it were and this is to happen at the revelation of Christ that we're to receive these things. Verse 8, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice, I love this phraseology, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. We have so much waiting for us in heaven. Yeah, down here we got to go through some stuff. Yep. But even going through that stuff, we can be filled with an inexpressible, uh, uh, an incalculable joy even going through that stuff because of the salvation that we have in Christ. And, and that's, that's the message and it carries us through. And I often stop there, but, but tonight I want to go on and, and look at the rest of this because there's something beautiful here. There's something about newness here that I want for us to see. Verse 10. Of this salvation, that is the salvation he's just talked about that gives us inexpressible joy even in the midst of our trials. Of this salvation that you and I have, verse 10, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. I know this is hard, but I want you to stop for a moment and try to think about, forget about for just a moment as best you can, the whole story of Jesus, the, what you have in Christ. Stop and try to put yourself back in a time before the cross, at least, at least as much as you can. And I want you to see what he says here about this salvation. He said, there were prophets. And they were giving clues as, as to what was going to happen. And, and it was so incredible to them, so much of this stuff, that they searched very carefully as God let them prophesy of this grace that would come to you. That they, they, they tried to figure out, they tried to understand when all these incredible, new, awesome, and wonderful things would happen that we kind of take for granted because we already have them looking back at the cross. Can you imagine for a moment the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or Daniel being given these most stunning, incredible, almost unbelievable divine revelations of of things that were going to happen, wonderful new things that were going to happen that God was going to bring about. And they were so stunning to them, so incredible to them, that they, they, they just they dug and they studied and they searched and they tried to find, man, this is so incredible, so awesome, that's, that's what it says they did. They tried to figure out when these things would happen and, and what they would be. Can you imagine? The prophets trying to ascertain by any and all means possible, probably even spending long hours in prayer, begging God, when is this going to happen? What is this? What does what, what, what all this encompass? And they were just enthralled by it. Trying to figure out all of these wonderful things regarding his eternal salvation that so many of us today, so many people today, simply ignore or reject or truly do take for granted. That's, that's verses 10 and 11. And, and remember, these men saw some incredible things. Think of the life of Ezekiel, and I, I'm not going to go over all of them. Think of the life of Daniel. Think of the lion's den. Think of the, the, the fiery furnace with his three friends. Think of all the things that they saw. I mean, they saw miraculous things at the hand of God. And yet verses 10 and 11 tell us that many of the prophets, They just, they kept inquiring because this was so special. This was so incredible what God was going to do. As they gave away these bits and pieces of this, clues of this this mystery as Paul would call it later. They were so amazed at the things which God's grace and sufferings and the glories to follow were going to encompass. They couldn't help but be enthralled and and ask God, when is all this going to happen? And God answered their prayers, verse 12, To them, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. It, it was it, as they inquired of these things and thought, what are these incredible things going to happen? God revealed it to them that not in their lifetime, but not, not then, but that these things were going to take place later on, as far as those of us who are living in New Testament times. And it's interesting here that these things were so incredible, so powerful, so amazing regarding salvation that these are things which angels desired to look into, angels wanted to know. Pretty powerful, huh, when an angel wants to know something, right? And the terminology here, if I, if I remember studies from years ago correctly, where it says things into which angels desire or long to look, it's the same phraseology as we find when, when Peter and John run to the tomb on Sunday morning. And they, they peer down to look into the tomb. Do you think there was a little intensity in Peter and John trying to look into the tomb, figure out what was going on that morning? You think they just come along and said, oh yeah, there's nobody in there. No, it was a whole lot more intensity than that. And this is the same phraseology. Angels long to to look into, to, to discover these incredible things that you and I just kind of look back on and say, yeah, I knew that. It was to them revealed that all of those beautiful things that they just got hints of and wondered about were going to be revealed or were revealed through the New Testament messengers. As King Solomon said in Proverbs 25, 25, as cold water to a weary soul so is good news from a far country. And so tonight I want to take a look at some of these good new things and I'll just shorten that up. These good new things being good news, a list of new things that were good. I want to take a look at those in a sermon entitled "The God of Good News," in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul mentions twice that he is praying that those Christians in Ephesus could somehow come to an understanding of what they have in Christ. In Ephesians 1:17 through20, Paul mentioned that he wanted the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, to give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of their understanding might be enlightened, that they might know what this hope is of their calling, what are the riches of God's glory in their inheritance in the saints, and what kind of power, exceeding power, that he had toward us who believe, according to that same power with which he raised Jesus from the dead. And that's his first prayer. He said, I I want you to understand. See, Paul wanted them to understand the beauty and the glory and the power of what they had in Christ that these Old Testament prophets themselves thought, I got to know more about this. And then Paul, in chapter 3, especially in verses 17 through 19, prayed that Christ might dwell in their hearts through faith and that they, being rooted and grounded in love, might be able to understand the height and the length and the depth and the width to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Those two prayers, those two mentions of prayers, in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, you know what's right in the middle of those? You know, sort of like a sandwich, you got the bread on the top, the bread on the bottom, the meat in the middle. <laughs> Paul's got this prayer in Ephesians 1, this in, in Ephesians 3, or talks about praying for him. And right in the middle, those are sandwiched around the meat of his message and that is the mystery of Christ, which he mentions in Ephesians 3, 1 through 12. This mystery that was kept hidden from people in past times. Now, the prophets got little clues and little hints here and there, but this mystery, this incredible mystery that they longed to look into, that's what they needed to understand. That's the meat of that sandwich. Paul wants them to appreciate the full precious, infinitely precious worth of the salvation that they now have in Christ Jesus our Lord. This message, Peter also explained, wasn't made known fully to them, but they got hints. And can you imagine these men, these great prophets of old, as they spoke about some of these things, not knowing everything that was going to happen, how, how curious it must have made them, and how, what a change was going to happen in the world. I want to take a look at just a few of these glimpses that just the prophet Isaiah got that must have made him want to just dig, and, and God, how can you possibly accomplish this? Let's go back in the book of Isaiah and look at some of these bits and pieces, these clues, as, as Isaiah and the other prophets strove to find out about this incredible plan that you and I look back on and say, oh yeah, that's the gospel. So much more. In Isaiah chapter 2, we'll begin there. Verses 2 and 3, God said, this is something new that I'm going to do. And and again, we're going to see these are new things, at least to Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus came to earth. In Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3, It came to pass, now it shall come to pass in the latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. See, that was a whole new thing because the Jews were God's people. And and way back here in Isaiah, we have all the nations flowing into God's house. Many people, verse 3, shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now we know today that the Lord's house that was going to be established there, verse 2, we know that that is the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. We're told that in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. We know that the New Testament house of the Lord is made up of people of all nations, as the gospel went throughout the whole world. And so that's what he's talking about. And we know that, but, but Isaiah, Isaiah didn't know all of it. And another thing we see here is that God's word would go forth out of Jerusalem, which we know from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, that the disciples were, were scattered from Jerusalem and they went everywhere preaching the word. Many clues, and we don't have time to read them all, but in Isaiah, just make you a quick list, I'm not even going to turn to these, but in Isaiah 7 in verse 14, it tells of how the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And if we didn't know the story of Mary and we weren't living on this side of the cross, we think, well, how could that possibly be? That, that, that is just incredible. We would read in Isaiah 9 and verse 6 how the government would be on the Messiah's shoulders. That is, of course, the spiritual government of his spiritual house. In Isaiah 11, in verse 2, it would talk about how the spirit of the Lord would be upon him. And then this one must have really gotten Isaiah. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9, tell how death shall be swallowed up in victory. Listen, prior to Christ and the cross, that must have been the most unbelievable concept. most the most inconceivable how can how can death be totally done away with that which has kept man locked down since since the first man how can death be swallowed up in victory no wonder the prophets wanted to know more if we were to go on and read isaiah 53 that great prophetic passage from the book of isaiah we would see that the, the messiah would be despised and rejected and we say how can that be one who comes to do all that that he's going to do when when God sends this Messiah when God sends the Savior when God how is it possible and yet again in Isaiah 53 we see he would be despised and rejected we see that he would be pierced through for our transgressions wounded for our iniquities all of that in order to pay for and forgive our sins isn't God incredible Also, he could intercede and save our souls. What incredible, wonderful new things God was going to do in the time of Isaiah and did do in the time of our Lord. I want to look at some of these new things from the book of Isaiah that that must have piqued his curiosity. Isaiah 42, for example, the first nine verses, take a look. God says, I'm going to do these incredible new things. And he did. Speaking of Jesus... He says in Isaiah 42, beginning at verse 1, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. Now keep in mind, Isaiah had an idea of God's holiness, Isaiah chapter 6, and yet God says there's one whom I'm going to delight in. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. This one that was coming would not fail. He would not be discouraged. And, and certainly some of the Old Testament prophets were discouraged. Read about Ezekiel. Read about, uh, uh, read about, yeah, why did I lose that? Read about Ezekiel. <laughs> um, read about him. Read about Elijah. We know from 1 Kings 19. Some of these prophets t- were discouraged and they felt as though they had failed. But, but this new one that would come, he would not fail nor be discouraged. Verse 5, thus says the God, thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it in spirit to those who walk on it, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord God, verse 5, who created heaven, and Isaiah gives this, this, this incredible picture of the power of this God. This God would send forth one, verses 6 and 7 and 8, who would would do incredible things, open blind eyes and and free the prisoners, we who were imprisoned to the power of sin and death. This God would, would anoint him, this God would be with him, and all of these things would happen. These would be new things, verse nine. And God was telling them before they came to pass what an incredible thing God was going to do. No wonder Isaiah and the prophets longed to look into these things along with the angels. Look with me in Isaiah 43. Look at verse 16, 43, 16. Thus says the Lord, and again, it just shows you the power of God. Thus says the Lord, Isaiah 43, 16, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together and shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. And I want you to think about the contrast here. Was it pretty incredible when Moses went through the Red Sea? Pretty incredible, wasn't it? Powerful. And all of of Pharaoh's armies were drowned in the depths of the sea. But you know what the point of this passage is? Hey, yeah, that was something, but forget about that. Verse 18, forget about that. I'm going to do something even more powerful. If I can paraphrase... Behold, I will do a new thing. Don't worry about that anymore. This is gonna pay make that pale by comparison. It shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And the beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself that they shall declare my praise. This is a prophetic promise given through Isaiah that God would provide for his people. Did not Jesus say that he had the living water? that he was the living bread, that this would be provided. It's talking about a spiritual prophecy. It's talking about how, how God will take care of his people whom he has formed for himself, that we might declare his praise. Peter says that that is the reason we were called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that we might declare the praises of him who did that. And as Isaiah is led by the Holy Spirit, talk of these new and incredible things that make some of those other things, God says forget about them, check this out. And he gave Isaiah so much more. Look with me in Isaiah 62, and again, I have time to go through them all, but no wonder Isaiah was curious because nothing like this had ever happened before. In Isaiah 62, there's so much newness that God's gonna do. Isaiah 62:1 and 2, he says, "'For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, "'and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, "'until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, "'and her salvation as a lamp that burns. "'The Gentiles shall see your righteousness, "'and all the kings your glory. "'You shall be called by a new name, "'which the mouth of the Lord will name.'" God's people were going to eventually be called by a new name. It was not going to be sons of Abraham. It was not going to be the Jews. We know from Acts 11:26 26, and other New Testament passages that they were called Christians. You know what Christian means? The Hebrew suffix that I-A-N represents means belonging to. If you are a Christian, it means you belong to Christ. That was a whole new name. Verse 3, those who are called by that new name, God says you shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, in a royal diadem, in the hand of your God. Think about that. These people who would be called by this new name were going to be like a diadem, like a crown in God's hand. We we, we know how powerful God is, and we know how awesome God is as much as we can, but but God says you are so precious, you Christians. You are so precious. You're going to be like the finest piece, the most priceless piece of jewelry in my hand. That's how God sees you in Christ as a Christian. Must have blown Isaiah's mind. (laughs) Right? We, we read on in, in chapter 65 of Isaiah and we, we read about all this newness and these new things that God's going to do and that he did do much of in Christ. In Isaiah 65, we begin at verse 13. Look what it says. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. My servants will drink but you will be thirsty. And again, he's talking to others up above here about those who are not following him. He says, behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry in sorrow of heart and wail for grief of spirit. You shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen for the Lord God will slay you and call his servants by another name. Again, as Christians, God's New Testament people, He would go on later here, or let's just read down through verse 16 so that he who blesses himself in the earth will bless himself in the God of truth. He who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten. He goes on to say, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. There's going to be this new heavens and this new earth, Isaiah. The former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. Now we know that we are the spiritual Jerusalem, spiritual Israel. We understand that. We understand what he's talking about because we know the new covenant. Do you wonder as we read through some of these why Isaiah was maybe had his curiosity peaked? <laughs> Why maybe Isaiah is one of those that's just looking, just, just, just wanting so much to know. When are these times going to happen, and, and who are these people going to be? And, and, and Isaiah must have thought, man, if I could live on the other side of that, that would be so incredible. Look what God even said regarding his own Old Testament people who had rejected his lordship in Isaiah 66, the very closing chapter of Isaiah. Look what he says, the final verses of Isaiah, Isaiah 66. 22 through 24. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it will come to pass from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Hmm, where have I heard that before? And we know that Mark told us about that. We know that Mark described... Eternity in those terms that Jesus described eternity in those terms and it's recorded in the book of Mark in chapter 9 So we see as Isaiah closes here. We see a little snapshot shot of eternity this incredible New heavens new earth if you will this this new place where man is going to dwell and remain before God And it's going to be for all time. It's going to be full-time verse 23 It's going to be that time when those who do not serve him will not be there, but in a much worse place, but, but this incredible new place. or new revelation of it. Jeremiah was the prophet who reminded us in Lamentations 3 and verse 22 that God's mercies are new every morning. Well, he told us something else too. In your, in your Bibles, if you go into Jeremiah, the very next book, Jeremiah 31, Beginning at verse 31, Jeremiah told us about something else that's new as well that was going to come. And he's one of those prophets that, that was given through the Holy Spirit these wonderful things to talk about. And so, in Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31, says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Here's another new thing. A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. He says, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be different. But but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. God wasn't going to put it on letters of stone this time. He wasn't going to engrave it with his finger on stone tablets. He was going to engrave it on our hearts. And he says, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. You see, as a Jew, you had, when you were born into Judaism, as you were growing up, you had to be taught the covenant. You had to be taught about the covenant that you were born into. But you see, under the new covenant, we're taught before we're born into it. I mean, if you're not taught the gospel and you're not taught the blood of Christ, then you can't obey the gospel to become part of it. So so that's what it means when it says that they won't need to teach their neighbor. In those days, they did. Because they were born into that covenant but before we're ever born into it we're taught about this this new thing and and how a radical that must have seemed to the prophets and yet this very passage is quoted word for word in Hebrews chapter 8 verses 8 through 12 where the writer of Hebrews tells us that this incredible good news new thing new covenant is ours in Christ Jesus we're the recipients Just like that passage in Peter we read, we're the recipients of this good news, brethren. We are the recipients of something that the Old Testament prophets of God could not even begin to imagine, and they begged God to fill them in on the details. The Hebrew writer himself went on to say that many of the Old Testament greats such as Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and and David and so many others did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us, Hebrews 11. I wonder if we had been one of those prophets what we would have thought when God says this is the incredible new thing I'm going to do it's going to make everything else I've done pale in significance. Turn to me to just one passage from Ezekiel as well. Ezekiel chapter 11, please. Ezekiel as well was one of those prophets who was given bits and pieces to tell the people of this mystery hidden from the beginning, but with all these beautiful new parts of it. In Ezekiel 11, look at verse 17. Starting in verse 17, therefore, say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries where you've been scattered, and I'll give you the land of Israel. They will go there and they will take away all its detestable things and all its abominations. I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them. And they shall be my God, and I will be their people. The story of the cross and what Jesus did for us should break our hearts. It should break our hearts that it took that to save us. And yet it should cause our hearts to rejoice because God was willing to do it. And, and, and that's what it's talking about here. There's a new spirit, there's a new, there's a new understanding, there's a new incentive, there's a new power that God is going to give these people that we would walk. Listen, we don't keep the list, as it were, like they did in the Old Testament, because they've got this list and it's just a checklist of dues. and. Listen, we obey God because of what God's done for us in Christ. Is that right? Because of gratitude. Because we love God. Because he first loved us. That's why we, that's why we do what we do for God. It's not like, oh, I'm afraid i got to do this. i got to go to church. I've got to do this. i got to do this. I, well, it says i, gotta, so I got to. If we're doing it that way, we might as well not bother. But it's the love of God that compels us and constrains us. Those angels... Long to look into these things God gave them the job if you will recall in Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 11 of announcing that night this wonderful news that this great new thing that this child was born behold I bring you glad tidings of a great joy or, or good news of a great joy for unto you this day is born in the city of David a savior 33 years later during his last night on earth, knowing that he would not live to see another night before he was crucified, that same Savior, that those angels announced this great good news, great joy thing in Luke 1, that same Savior gave us also something awesome and incredible and powerful and new to celebrate in Matthew chapter 26, and we focused on this last Sunday morning, but you can never focus too much on the cross and the new covenant and the blood of that covenant. Jesus in Matthew chapter 26 tells us of this, this new thing. In Matthew 26 beginning at verse 28, he says, or we'll start in 27, Matthew 26, 27. He took the cup, gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Because Jesus was willing to do that, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Hebrews nine fifteen. So that he could forgive the transgressions under the first covenant so that those who are called can receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Hebrews 9 and verse 15. What incredible things we've been given by God, things that people that lived prior to the cross, prophets who saw so many awesome incredible things longed like angels. They, they inquired, they searched, they studied to try to figure out when all of these incredible things were going to happen. And yet sometimes because we can look back at them instead of forward towards them, Maybe they lose a little bit of their luster, or we take them a little for granted, but brethren, we shouldn't. Revelation 21, one through five, it talks about this new eternal inheritance, this this new Jerusalem, as it were. It talks about how God's gonna wipe away every tear from their eyes, and this is gonna be our new new home, this, this new Jerusalem. It's a place where all things are made new. But here's the thing, that place is only reserved for those who have themselves been made and remain a new creation themselves in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a place that's only there for those who have put on the new man who is created in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, Colossians 3.10. This. New Jerusalem is only for the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, Ephesians 4.24. This new Jerusalem is only for those who because they are in Christ are a new creation. Old things have passed away and new things have come for them, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Once one has repented and been baptized specifically for the forgiveness of their sins, They must continue to walk in that newness of life in order to enter that new Jerusalem as as John termed it and saw it. When you leave here tonight, I know it's cold. I know that tomorrow most people go back to work after holiday time. I understand there's a lot going on, life changing, it's a new year. But as you do that, please do not lose sight of the fact that you've been given some of the most incredible unbelievable infinitely powerful and encouraging things that the God of the universe could possibly give you as a New Testament Christian things things that the prophets just just diligently wanted to know more about even after all they saw don't let that be lost on you appreciate what you have in Christ and if you're here tonight and you've never been baptized if you've never become a new creation by having your sins washed away, or if you have and somehow along the way Christianity for some reason maybe has gotten a little old, and you just need that fire relit, you need to have that joy of your salvation relit, we will pray for you, study with you, encourage you, do whatever needs to be done. Because listen, if you've kind of lost it a little bit, I got, boy, but i got some good news for you. <laughs> the steadfast love of the Lord for you has not ceased. Song we sing, right? The Lord's steadfast love for you has not ceased just because you're struggling. His mercy for you has not come to an end. They're new every evening and what a night for you new beginning on this the first Lord's Day of the new year. If you'd like to make a new beginning tonight, maybe get a new understanding or become a new creation in Christ, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, anything that we can help you to do, please come forward right now as we stand and sing.